Hare ki jai, Anantakoti Vaishnava Rinda ki jai, Namacharya Shilohi Das Thakura ki jai, Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adoraita Gadad Harshi Vasari Gora Bhakti Rinda ki jai, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana ki jai, Rinda Vandama ki jai, Matura Dhamma ki jai, Navadrit Maya Pradhamma ki jai, Jagannapuri Dhamma ki jai, Gangamaya Jamuna Devi ki jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, Tulsi Maharani ki jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vinda Ki Jai, Gora Premanandi. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Nama Om Vishnu Vinaya Krishna Prasanna Salation. Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namani Namaste Sarasvati Devi. Gauravani Pachani Yavasesa Sunivani Paskajaka Satana Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Padakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavanshta Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Samsajivam Sagvaitam Sagdutam Pavichana Saita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Ravita Sri Vishakam Vitam Panchakapatu Vishakam 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 this is August 18, 2018, in Bhaktivedanta Mandir in London on Essence Seekers. Okay. So first we're going to look... Can everybody see, first of all? Yeah? Maybe we could turn off the lights. That would... That's much better. Can everybody see the screen? If not, maybe... Could the ladies squish over a little bit more? And so... They really should have put everything back further, maybe. Maybe we should just do that. Let's just do that. Okay. Yes, just let's pull everything back. And screen and projector. Got to be careful, this is connected. So you want to pull the projector back, everything. And they can't see online. Oh. If it's there, everybody can see online. All right, all right, all right. Let's. Screen, screen, screen. Keep the screen there. In the left they will see the screen, but not you online. Are you guys willing to squish for the onlineers? Are you willing to sacrifice for the online people? The online should adjust. Well, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that. Just have audio. Okay, so we could move the men over a bit. If, yeah. And the name Jada was actually a name born of bullying. It means stupid, foolish, dull, stone-like. And Jada's history is really interesting because he was basically a child prodigy in enlightenment. You know, you really can move over this way. Like, really, yeah, you can kind of squish a little over this way. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, we have child prodigies in math and music and so forth. But being a child prodigy in enlightenment is a little interesting. As you know, many monks take vows of silence. I mean, here in Europe, there's monasteries where people take vows of silence. So Jada wanted to do that. But he was only like one or two years old. How was he going to go to a monastery where they have vows of silence? So he went to a monastery internally, and he just didn't speak. 
acted like he couldn't see or hear, so everybody called him Judah, the dull, foolish, uh, stupid one. Now, it's very interesting because at a certain point in his life, he decided to speak. He was traveling on the road when a king had his palanquin carrier get sick, needed another palanquin carrier, forced Judah into slavery to carry his palanquin. Uh, but Judah was accustomed not to step on the insects on the road, and so he was kind of a shaky palanquin carrier. And the king, Rehugana, got out and insulted Judah. Now, Judah had been insulted his whole life. So why, and in fact, there was even a murder attempt on him, why did he decide to speak? I don't know, but he decided to speak, and he says, uh, My dear King Rehugana, let me tell you a series of allegories. It says, we are originally spiritual beings. Uh, we belong in a spiritual atmosphere. However, being rebellious against the Lord, we have come to this world which is like a great forest. This is one of the illustrations from our book. In this great forest, we have become like merchants who are going through the forest trying to find something that we can sell at a profit. Hmm? This is the basic materialistic exploitive mentality. Looking at the world, how can I make a profit? How can I exploit? How can I get something for myself? So we come to the forest of enjoyment, not seeing it as the energy of Krishna, not seeing it as a way of service, but seeing it as a way that, oh, how can I make a profit? And Jada explained that we're doing this not only in the human form, sometimes as a man, sometimes as a woman, but in higher forms, celestial beings, and in lower forms, sometimes as an insect, sometimes as a fish, or a bird, or an animal. Now, in this great forest of enjoyment, there is one item of good fortune. In a forest, there are honeybees. The honeybees are a metaphor for... Anybody know what the honeybees are a metaphor for? The essence seekers, yes. Uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur actually says there's two kinds of people in the world, essence seekers and burden carriers. So those who seek the essence of life, those who seek the nectar of life, the saintly persons, the enlightened beings, the pure devotees of the Lord. And these saintly persons, wise persons, enlightened beings, when they come to us in the forest of enjoyment, they can teach us both the real nature of exploitation and what is the ultimate truth. These honeybees of wise persons can help us to taste the real nectar of life at every step. But first they're going to have to give us some instruction about the nature of exploitation so we can become detached from a materialistic identity. So Jetta gives the fact that in this world we become overwhelmed by fatigue, hunger, and thirst. And when we are tired, hungry, or thirsty, we may be unkind even to those that we love, or they may be unkind to us. So who's a prime example in the Bhagavatam of somebody who 
didn't act quite properly because they were tired, hungry, and thirsty. Bridge it much. And we see this even among our family, even among our friends, isn't it? Just some little physiological disturbance and we lose our good qualities. Jenny gives the metaphor of a castle in the sky. So a castle in the sky is an allegory for the things we want, we work for them, we just strive for them, we desire them, but we never get them. Maybe we want to be rich or famous, have the perfect partner in life, wonderful children, a career that we love, a house by the sea, whatever it is. And we just try and try and we never get it. So these are the castles in the sky. Then there are swamps and marshes. Now sometimes from a swamp or marsh there are vapors or gases that come. And these vapors sometimes are phosphorescent. And in their glowing phosphorescence, they may look like gold. But when one goes to collect such gold, one finds it's only gases coming out of a swamp. So this Jada gives as an allegory for the things we want, we strive for them, we get them. Why did I want this? It's not what we expected it to be, right? You place an order for something and you get it and you go, why did I order this? You marry that perfect partner and you find out they're not quite a perfect partner. Well, like I have a good friend who studied for years to become a lawyer. And after becoming a lawyer, she decided she didn't like being a lawyer. So that's the phosphorescent gases from the marsh. Then Jetta gives a series of different metaphors for people who cause us trouble or difficult circumstances. And one of them is the mosquitoes and the flies. So like they say, if you ever believe that one person can't make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. Right? And you know when we sleep in a room with mosquitoes or flies, we're spending all night hitting ourselves. <laughs> so this is an allegory Jed gives for those who are criticizing us. Bzzz, you have so many problems. Bzzz, why do you do this? Bzzz, 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 you're so terrible this way. Bzzz, you're so terrible that way. Then we have the crows, the rats, and the locusts. When I was presenting this around Europe, they really struggled with a translation for locusts. So you all know what locusts are, Like grasshoppers. These are the creatures that eat the harvest. This is like we work for something, and just when we're about to enjoy it, we lose it. We used to have a home with a cherry tree, so we were watching the cherries, and the birds were also watching. <laughs> have you ever worked on something, and you know it was really nice, and then somebody else took all the credit? Or maybe your boss asked you to do something, and you spent months, and then after it was done, the boss says, yeah, I don't think we need that anyway. We're going to do something. Anything when you work for something and just when you're ready to enjoy it, it gets taken. Then there are the owls and the crickets. So the crickets make noise, but you can't see them, and the owls are the silent hunters. So these are the enemies or the critics that we don't see. You know, I think I should tell you, as your friend, as your friend, 
There are many people saying that you have a lot of problems that you really need to address. Oh, um, what, what problems are they? I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't tell you it's confidential. <laughs> well, maybe if you could tell me the names of the people that are saying these things, I could talk to them and, and try to sort it. I'm very sorry, that's also confidential. And that's like uh, these kind of critics. Then we have the snakes. So these are the enemies who actually harm us. So with all these troubles, we may seek some relief. And Jeff says sometimes we want to jump into a river, cool down from all these troubles. But the river is very shallow, and underneath the shallow water, there are sharp rocks. And if we jump in the water, we will simply get injured. So this is a metaphor for cheating systems of religion and spirituality. Now, some of them may externally, superficially align themselves with some genuine religion, but they're simply cheating. Some of them are out now cheating. Oh, we've and, you know, created this new system, and if you follow this new system, you'll become happy and prosperous and so forth. But some of them say, oh, we worship Jesus, we worship Muhammad or something, or we worship Krishna, and they make something up. Just like in America, I don't know if you have them here, or if it's just an American curse, but we have these uh, televangelists. Do you have them here? Few. A few. Yeah. So these guys, uh, I remember seeing one on television once when I took a friend to the hospital for a procedure early in the morning, and they were on a Sunday morning, they were playing on the TV. So these guys say, Jesus wants you to be rich. And the richer you are, the more evidence that you have the grace of Jesus. Like me, I am very rich. I can buy an airplane with cash. If you want to be rich like me, give me your money. <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly what they say. They say, give me your money, and it will be like planting a seed that will grow into a money plant. They even say, I mean, this is, this is really kind of sad. They even say, do you have credit card debt? Borrow another $1,000 on your credit card. Send it to me. It will act as a seed to wipe out all your credit card debt. So these cheating systems, you know, or some of them just meditate on a red Ferrari in your driveway. Red Ferrari in my driveway. Red Ferrari. <laughs> and when you open your eyes, it will be there. <laughs> so these are systems that appear to be spiritual. They appear to be religious. They appear to give relief, but underneath there's just sharp stones that break your head. Then sometimes there's a great storm, maybe a dust storm or rain or snow. If you've ever driven in a bad storm and not been able to see, huh? Does that happen? Driving in the rain is so hard, it's like you can hardly see the car in front of you. So Jetta gives this as an allegory for very strong sexual desires that blind our intelligence. So I'm sure we all know people who got involved. There was somebody they shouldn't have got involved with because they were blinded. Huh? Hopefully no one in this room. This is not uncommon. And then there's uh, adulterous affairs, which generally compares to being attacked by a swarm of bees. You go to enjoy the honey. You take, try to take someone else's honey and you get attacked. 
And then uh, there may even be difficulties within one's own circle of family and friends. So you may think, oh, all of my family and friends, they love me so much. Hmm? Well, but they may actually be stealing from you. So it gives this allegory of the tigers, uh, that sometimes the tiger cubs, they steal from the adult tigers. Or, you know, the tigers also have a relationship with golden jackals. So the tigers will kill an animal, and the golden jackals will come and steal the meat. But they appear to be friends. So sometimes we have like that. Just like Dhruva Maharaj, his stepmother, uh, stole his father and his kingdom, wasn't it? Very common nowadays. Not Nowadays it's not through polygamy, it's through divorce. But it's very common. Your stepmother, your stepfather takes all your inheritance, right? or turns the family members against you. Uh, we know of people who went into business with some family member or friend and uh, lost this. We all know people like and then they lost so much. <coughs> then there's the vertical mountains covered with thorns. Jetta gives this as a metaphor for all of the ceremonies and events that happen in material life. You know, these are the events that you're kind of obligated to go to, but you really would rather not. And so you go and you're like, it's so nice to be here. Hey, yes, yes, I I'm just, just delighted to be here today. Or sometimes we're planning these events and we have to spend a lot of money and then we're thinking, okay, I've got to invite him and i got to invite him, but they don't like each other and how am I going to see them? <laughs> and then Jada gives the allegory of cannibalistic demons. So these are the government tax collectors. They're, they're so much overtaxing, it's like they're eating their own people. And then, of course, they take the tax money and put it in their pocket. And he gives us the metaphor of the python. Jedi gives the python as a metaphor for sleep, not just physical sleep, but spiritual sleep. So the python first stops the heart. And those who are spiritually asleep, it's like their heart is closed. And after all this trouble, there's the metaphor of the lion of death. Life of trouble, and then simply you die. So King Rahugana, after hearing all these allegories from Jada, he said, "You know what? I think I'm going to go look for the essence of life. I want to go out of this forest of material enjoyment." But Jada's allegories stop there. So how are we going to find the essence of life? For that, we're going to turn to the allegories given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, an avatar of Krishna. And he gave these allegories to Sanatana Goswami. So this is in Madhulila 19 and 20. He says, now that you've decided that you are going to look for the real truth, for the essence of life, that you are going to find out what's really going on in the world. So first thing you're going to have to be careful. So we already talked about the shallow rivers with the rocks underneath, the cheating systems. Now we're going to go to genuine systems. So people were teaching genuine systems of religion and spirituality, but they're haunted. They have these two witches. So we have these witches. 
of, in Sanskrit, called bhukti and mukti. So someone's teaching, yes, you should love God, but why should you love God? You should love God because if you love God, then you'll be happy in this world, and you'll get to go to some wonderful heaven, and God will bless you with everything. So they're not out-and-out cheaters like the other guys. But their mentality is skewed. It's like they're haunted by a witch. And then you have people teaching a genuine system, but for the purpose of liberation, for the purpose of losing their, themselves and losing their identity. Now, if you actually love Krishna, you will generally have a happy life, and also you will get liberated. But if that's your... Right? When their heads cut off? Oh, what a shame. Thank you. It's kind of hard. I can't see it. In Soho, the, the monitor was behind me, so I couldn't see it at all. At one point, someone said, hey, I don't think you have up there what you want to have. So we're not trying to please God to get something from Him. That's not really pleasing you, right? If I'm trying to please you because I want to get something from you, then am I actually trying to please you or am I trying to please myself? I'm trying to please myself. So that's, you're taking a genuine system of pleasing God, but you're pleasing Him for your own selfish motives. Now, Raghunathas Goswami in Manasiksha says that we should have love for these teachers of religion. But we should ourselves be careful not to come under the spell of bhakti and mukti. So offering all love and respect to these various teachers of religion. It's interesting. So I don't know if you can tell, but um, Bhutti's clothes are made out of coins. Can you see the coins on Bhutti's clothes? So this is very appropriate that we have coins as background sounds. This was actually prepared in advance. It was all engineered. So instead of trying, instead of trying to please the Lord and asking Him for coins, give your coins to the Lord. <laughs> How many more are there? Okay. Thank you very much. So then, if we want to go to genuine systems of religion that are being taught without being haunted by the witches of Bhukti and Mukti. So here Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives Sanatana Goswami another allegory. He said, you will have to go see the all-knowing astrologer, Sarvakya, and he will tell you how to get to the essence of life. So when you see Sarvakya, he says, this treasure of the essence of life is buried somewhere in a metaphorical city. It was buried by your relative who wants you to have it as your inheritance. But unfortunately, your relative died in a distant place and so didn't tell you where it was buried. So if you're going to look for the treasure of the essence of life, you may look in the northern part of the city. There the treasure is guarded by a snake. In the western part of the city, it's guarded by a yaksha. In the southern part of the city, it's guarded by giant hornets or wasps. In the eastern part of the city, you can find your treasure, but you do have to be careful of a crazy elephant. 
So, taking this advice of Sarvegya that Mahaprabhu has given us, we're going to go into our metaphorical city. And first we're going to look allegorically in the northern part of the city. There we will find the method of finding the essence of life called the mastery connection. This is where one wants to find the essence of life by mechanically mastering the body and mind. Usually it involves putting the body in certain positions, breathing in a particular way, regulating the airs of life, and regulating the circles of energy within the body. Doing that makes the mind still and being able to focus on the Lord of the heart. One realizes then that one is a spiritual being, connects with the divine as the Lord in the heart, and tastes the essence of life. Now, of course, this system of mastery connection is rather difficult at the present time, although many people are attracted to it. It's becoming a very popular system in many different forms. When I made this presentation in Detroit, in America, one gentleman in the audience was a martial arts teacher, and he said, oh, that's the system I teach. He said, but I've had to kind of dumb it down for modern people because no one's willing to do the real system. Of course, in this system, uh, people find it very difficult. They may get distracted by the innate powers that get awakened. But Mahaprabhu says, uh, through the allegorical Sarvagya, fortune teller, that the real danger on this path is a snake. So you all know who the snake is, right? So in, when you're in the mastery connection, one desires to awaken this snake of energy. Now, in, in the properly executed mastery connection, this snake of energy gives you the blessings of Shiva and Shakti, which then bring you to the essence of life. One devotee in Soho uh, the last couple days kept uh, preaching to me about the glories of Lord Shiva as the greatest Vaishnava. It was very interesting. But unfortunately, many people who take up the mastery connection, they become bewildered by the snake, and the snake swallows them. They simply lose their identity, being swallowed by the snake of energy. And they fail to find the essence of life. Well, all right, following what Sarvagya said, we're going to now uh, metaphorically dig in the western part of our allegorical city to try to find the essence of life. And here is the knowing connection. So here one finds the essence of life by studying, by studying philosophy, by studying theology, by studying the hard sciences like math and science, uh, chemistry and physics, or the soft sciences, sociology, psychology. And by studying the sciences, by studying philosophy and theology, what happens? One becomes very... Hmm? Well, you're talking about bad things, good things, if it works properly. One becomes very knowledgeable and one gets what? Oh, you're talking about the bad things. What are the good things? How does one get enlightened in this system? Detached. Good. We're all such prejudiced bhakti yogis. Like they're all bad. It was interesting, just this morning, just by chance, seriously, I'm just listening to Prabhupada's Nectar Devotion Lectures in order. So, uh, every morning. So, Prabhupada just this morning was saying, uh, these are all transcendental systems. Says these are all tra-. He said, of course, we can say bhakti is the best, but then he said, actually, uh, they're all transcendental. You cannot say higher or lower transcendental. It was very, very interesting. <coughs> so, yes, the way that the knowing connection is supposed to work 
is that you become detached. The more you study philosophy and nature, right? The more you study the nature of nature, will you become detached? Yes. And one will realize that one is the observer, that one is not the body, that one is the observer. And one will stop trying to either enjoy or reject the world, but simply uh, observe the world and realize Brahman. So that is the way the knowing connection is supposed to work. But there is a danger here. Of course, very few people can take up this path. Again, both mastery connection and knowing connection are very difficult in Kali Yuga. Unlike mastery connection, knowing connection is not very popular in the world today. Uh, mastery connection is really gaining popularity, but knowing connection is not. I don't think most people want to kind of leave their life and just study philosophy. But there certainly is a mood today that science is going to bring us the essence of life, isn't there? Isn't that a very prevalent philosophy? Often taught without any theological connection. And we could say the whole emphasis on modern science is kind of like a, a perversion of this knowing connection path. But what is the danger on the path of knowing connections? So Sarvagya says the danger is these yakshas. So what is a yaksha? A yaksha is a nature spirit. In Iceland they call them the hudufolk. And they take them very seriously in Iceland. Even the government, if they're going to build a road or a building, they always make sure they don't disturb the hudufolk. Very seriously. So these are the guardians of like the mountains and the rivers and the forests. They are the guardians of nature's secrets. So when you start trying to find the essence of life through science and philosophy, because like mastery connection, which unlocks subtle powers, so what happens when you mess with science and knowledge? Don't you also unlock various powers? Right? Which is what's happened in our modern society. So the yakshas guarding nature's secrets are worried that you're going to unlock these powers and misuse them. Is that happening? Yeah. So they bewilder people. Like each philosopher comes up with a different philosophy. And frankly, even in ISKCON, many of us waste time, I've been guilty of this many times, arguing on, you know, minutia of philosophical points. I remember once we were having a meeting, uh, Shana Karishi of Oxford was there, and he said, you know, if we're going to have these kind of discussions, we completely forget about the little blue boy playing his flute. And I went, oops. Right? And you see people getting into, they're really getting into a knowing connection mood, aren't they? That we're going to understand God by this, this particular way of understanding the philosophy is right. No, this way is right. No, this way is right. If you don't get the philosophy exactly perfect, you're going to go to hell. Right? And they forget all about that beautiful person they're playing this flute. And uh, people who study science, right? they come up with one scientific theory, this is the essence of life. Then another scientist, no, this is the essence of life. And the theories contradict each other, and they simply become bewildered. All right, so now we're going to take Sarvagya's suggestion, and we're going to look for our treasure in metaphorically the southern part of the city. This is the path of action connection. This is where you do what you would normally do in the world, but you don't enjoy the fruits. Karmapalatyaga, Krishna says in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. How does this work? How does action connection bring you to the essence of life? You also get detachment. Krishna says, karma palatyaga, you become peaceful. If you work, give up the fruits, work, give up the fruits, work, give up the fruits. 
you become peaceful. And in that peace, one realizes again, I'm the soul. One realizes this is how I fit in the universal body. This is my place in the body of God. I am not the separate enjoyer. Now, certainly there are many uh, systems teaching some form of action connection. It's definitely more popular because it's more accessible to people, the mastery connection and knowing connection, because everybody's acting anyway. But the problem here, of course, nowadays most people don't even know what good action is. So it's very difficult to do action connection if you don't understand action. Because in order to do action connection, you have to do pious action. How many people today are doing pious action? Not very many. So that's one difficulty. But Sarvagya, the metaphorical Sarvagya, says the real problem are these giant hornets. I don't know how well you can see this, but this is a finger right here. That's how big these hornets are. These are the giant hornets that are in Bengal where Mahaprabhu was giving these allegories. Now, by the way, hornets are natural enemies of honeybees. So do you remember who the honeybees are in Judah's allegory? They're the same persons. Now, like honeybees, hornets also have a, uh, a very social system. They're social creatures. But unlike bees, they're not cooperatively social. They're uh, aggressively social. So they live in, in a nest. They have a social system. But the more powerful hornets will steal the food from the less powerful hornets. And what I found really interesting is that the male hornets are so cruel and violent to the queen that the queen doesn't even want to mate. She tries to fly in the mating season. She tries to fly away quickly and remain barren rather than to deal with these violent males. So this represents allegorically that the problem in action connection is you have to do action. And to do action, you have to have a designation. You have to have a label. I am a banker, I am a doctor, I am an engineer, I am an IT specialist, I am a son, I am a wife, I am a mother. And as soon as we have a label, then we can start to think, my label is better than your label. Which is what happens among the hornets. Alright, well we're finally at the part of our metaphorical city where our metaphorical Sarvigya fortune teller told us if we dig here we will certainly find the treasure. This is in the eastern part of the city and all of us as bhakti yogis. This is our system. The system of devotion connection. And this system is the best because it's available to anyone. Even if you're not properly situated by action, you're not a philosopher, you can't sit and meditate, anybody can take up this path of devotion connection. It doesn't involve great austerities and it gets to the root of our materialistic activities which are trying to exploit the resources of the Lord by having us do loving service to the Lord. And such a happy process, chanting, dancing, and feasting, which automatically melts our heart. But even here, Mahaprabhu says that there's a problem. And allegorically, you see the problem in the back? I don't know how well you can see on the screen because there's life in there. Can you see the problem in the back, kind of looming there? The crazy elephant. So I'm sure that such maddened elephants were very well known in Mahaprabhu's time in Bengal. Uh, People used to keep elephants there for work. Uh, They're very good at harvesting lumber because you don't need to build a road and they can just pick the trees you want. Uh, But I'm sure there were also wild elephants in his time. 
So elephants are interesting because although in pretty much every mammal a female goes into periodic heat, males generally do not. But in the elephants, they do. So the bull elephant also has times of heightened uh, reproductive desire and capacity, although it's not on a regular basis. This period is called must. And the bull elephant in must becomes really crazy. They have certain physiological symptoms. They have tempering coming out of their forehead. Uh, Their back legs are always wet with urine. They become very sensitive to sound and to movement. And although elephants by nature are very loving, gentle, intelligent, affectionate creatures, uh, a bull elephant in must will even kill the trainer that it has loved since, since its childhood. And they'll destroy a home, they'll destroy a garden. So Mahaprabhu gives this bull elephant as an allegory for criticizing other essence seekers, criticizing other uh, devotees. You know, Prabhupada, when he would give the ten offenses, uh, not to blaspheme those who are spreading the message of the Lord, sometimes he would say, this means don't criticize Jesus and Mohammed. Uh, very interesting. What to speak of criticizing other members of our own society? It acts like a crazy elephant. So in traditional societies where they use elephants for work, they recognize the first signs of must, and immediately they withhold all food and most water. And then it never fully develops. It passes in a couple days. Uh, So in Western countries, they consider that withholding food and water is cruel, so they put the bull and must in a very strong cage. But then must can last for weeks or even months. So allegorically, as soon as the elephant of our mind starts to become critical, uh, especially of other seekers of the essence, we should immediately not feed it. And then it will pass very quickly without any damage. All right. So have we decided to dig for our treasure in the eastern part of the city and take up the path of devotion connection? Yes? All right. So now we're ready for the last series of metaphors. And these are given by Raghunath Das Goswami. So uh, in Manashiksha. So those of you who remember when I was here two years ago, I was teaching Manashiksha. So we're just going to go through this very quickly, not the whole manuscription. So Raghunath Goswami says, all right, if you've decided to seriously take up the path of devotional service, of devotional connection, here is how from that point of serious dedication you're going to attain the supreme goal and the essence of life. You should have great love for your teachers on the path, our Diksha Gurus, our Shiksha Gurus, anyone who helps us on the path not seeing them just as saintly persons, but seeing them as our well-wishing friend. But also, we should have great love for all the teachers of genuine religions, anyone who is searching for God. We should have great love for the holy name and for our diksha mantras, not chanting these mechanically or ritualistically. Great love for the sacred places which act as portals to the spiritual world, including this place, and even an altar we set up in our room to keep them very clean and very beautiful, to treat these places with great affection and care. And great love for the process of surrender, the process of giving up our false ego, our pride, our arrogance, not to resist that process, but to love it. Then Raghunath Das Goswami allegorically takes us through four levels of surrender. The first is sound. So as we all know, the world was created by sound. What was that sound? And Prabhupada writes in the third canto that we are also creating our own lives through sound. I think this fact is being more understood by various uh, 
spiritual seekers in the world today. That what we speak and what we hear and what we think creates our reality, yes? Aren't people starting to teach this generally in the world? Yes? What we say, what we think, what we hear is going to create our present and future reality. Therefore, if the sounds we hear are opposed to spirituality, if they are opposed to our highest ideal of love of God, then we're going to be creating something that's opposed to what we want. Raghunath Das Goswami says these materialistic sounds are allegorically compared to a prostitute that steals the wealth of bhakti from the heart. Just like an ordinary prostitute may appear attractive, but what does she want? Only your money. The people who see prostitutes, they wake up without their money, maybe they've lost their health, their friends, their reputation, and the prostitute has also left. Uh, so if we are engaged in materialistic talk, materialistic thought, hearing materialistic things, we will lose our wealth of bhakti. This is the most gross level because the sounds we make are heard by others. Right? So I'm always talking about politics or sports or criticizing people or glorifying myself. Everybody else can also hear that I'm basically metaphorically consorting with a prostitute. So it's on the most gross level, the most obvious So what is the remedy? This is a picture from our book, by the way. The remedy is to have a great jewel, a jewel of service. In other words, to use sounds in service. One of the austerities of speech is that all speech should be beneficial. Whatever we hear, think, and speak should be a benefit to ourselves spiritually and be a benefit to whoever else hears them. If If we always keep very carefully this jewel of service as far as sound then we will not become bewildered by this thieving prostitute. Now we go to the level of action. This is a little bit more subtle. Because if my actions are not in line with my speech, other people may not see those. I may externally have nice behavior, but privately I may be engaging in behaviors which are against my spiritual ideals and against even the sounds that I make. Raghunath Das Goswami metaphorically says that on the shining path of bhakti, these bad behaviors are like thieves with ropes. You see this rope across the path? These thieves are lust in his friends. Lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion, fear, madness. These ropes are the behaviors that we know are going to harm our spiritual life, but we do them anyway. It's as if these thieves of lust and fear and anger have a rope around our neck. We're like a dog being dragged around. So these are the things that, you know, I know I shouldn't watch that, but I watch it. I know I shouldn't eat that, but I eat it. I know I shouldn't do that, but I do it. Arjuna talks about this in the third canto. These thieves have these ropes around our neck and they're dragging us around doing things that are against our own ideals, our own goals. But who are these thieves? They are our own lust, our own fear, our own anger, our own envy. And therefore it's very difficult to be rid of them. The solution is to cry for help from the devotees who are a step ahead of us on the path. Those devotees who are themselves free from these ropes can free us by their instruction, by their example, and by their inspiration. 
we see, oh, they're not being dragged around by lust, greed, envy, and anger, and fear, and they're happy. So I can also become happy. Going more subtle are the problems of the mind. So in speech, our speech is obvious to others. Behavior, maybe we're deceiving others with our private behavior, but on the level of the mind, we're deceiving ourselves. Here is where the mind has justified or rationalized ways of behaving or ways of thinking, telling ourselves, this is very spiritual, this is very wonderful, but actually it isn't. So on the gross level, lust, anger, and fear are dead by the side of the shining path, but our mind is burning in dissatisfaction. This is what happened to Arjuna. He says, Krishna, I'm doing the right thing. I'm looking out for the women. I'm being respectful for my elders. I'm I'm not interested in the kingdom. These are all wonderful, good, spiritual things. Why aren't I happy? Why am I burning? If we're convinced that our actions are right in bhakti and our speech is right in bhakti, but we're not happy. Our mind's not filled with peace and joy. Then we have this problem. And Raghunath Das Goswami says, metaphorically, we are bathing in the urine of a very big donkey, thinking that it's cleaning us. We're doing things that aren't good for us, thinking they're good for us. Bhakti Vinod writes in his commentary, we're charmed by this donkey urine bath, thinking, oh, I'm getting so pure. So how are we going to get free of this problem? Because we're deceiving ourselves. We're not able to recognize how we are rationalizing and justifying. We know the symptoms are that we're not happy, we're not satisfied, we're not peaceful, in spite of doing externally the activities of bhakti. But because we've rationalized our behavior or our mentality, we're not able to find it. So metaphorically, Raghunath Dasko Swami says, you've got to take your mind and bathe it in the ocean of love. In other words, you've got to go to the feet of Radha and Krishna, to the divine couple, and say, please show me how I am deceiving myself. Please reveal to me. Bathe my mind in the ocean of love and reveal to me what is truth and what is illusion so that I can choose rightly, as Krishna did in the Bhagavad Gita. Then if our mind is always bathed in the ocean of love, Raghunath Goswami says there's one further metaphor at the level of the heart. Because here there may be, metaphorically, a dead dog. This dead dog represents the honor and praise one gets from being a very spiritual person. By the time we've come this far on the path to the essence of life, we've dedicated ourselves, we've, we've given up the shallow rivers with the rocks underneath, we're not haunted by bhukti and mukti, we've chosen the path of devotion, connection, dedicated ourselves, right? We love our gurus, the holy name, the mantras, the sacred places. We use sound in service. Our behavior is free of lust and fear and envy. Our mind is bathed in the ocean of love. Wow, we're pretty elevated. And so people are saying, hey, you're really elevated. You're really advanced. And when we desire to enjoy that praise, it's like there's this wild woman dancing in our heart, eating this dead dog. And real love is right here, and she can't come in. Now this wild dancing woman of desire to enjoy the honor of being a spiritual person, she has a boyfriend named Deceit. 
Because when we want to be honored, we're not honest. We present ourselves as better than we are. And this desire to be honored for our spirituality is at the root of everything false and mundane in our life. To throw out the desire to be honored for spirituality and deceit, we have to serve the saintly persons. Because this is a desire to be honored as a saintly person. So the cure is instead to be the menial servant of a saintly person. The great generals in the Lord's army will drive this desire out of our heart. And by doing this service, we will actually be elevated to the essence of life. Because Krishna is so pleased when we serve his devotees that he gives us all the acknowledgement and he gives us uh, all of the honor uh, for ourselves being a menial servant. At this time, we no longer think that I'm such a saintly person, but instead we think, I am greatly in need of grace. My heart is full of dirt and I need grace to grow a beautiful garden of bhakti in my heart. And then, although as our obstacles may seem as big as the Atlantic Ocean, as soon as we receive this grace through our humility, a miracle happens. Everybody ready for the miracle? Yeah. Can we count to three together? One, two, three. The whole ocean becomes a little puddle. All of these problems become reduced to insignificance. We easily step over them. Then we actually enjoy the fruits of bhakti, and we greatly relish the essence of life. Our inner consciousness becomes a garden of sacred fragrance. So why did I choose that? Uh, because Tosi in Latin is optimum sanctum, which means sacred fragrance. So you have Tosi Rinda Vana. I didn't want to use forest because I used to use the forest of material enjoyment. So we have the garden of sacred fragrance. And when one's consciousness is absorbed in the garden of sacred fragrance, one realizes one's spiritual nature, one's spiritual form, one's spiritual service. Then, although one may continue externally to work in the world as an ordinary person, one's inner consciousness is completely transformed. One is drinking the glowing nectar of the essence of life at every step. So these allegories from Jad Bharat, of course, are from the fifth canto, from Mahaprabhu, or from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, both of which were translated by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and the allegories from the Manasiksha, or the Splendid Instructions uh, to the Mind. Of course, we know also about Raghunathas Goswami uh, from Sri so I hope you've enjoyed this uh, journey through these allegories, going through the material forest, avoiding the cheating religions, meeting Sarvagya, who told us to beware of the bhukti and mukti, which, which haunted genuine systems, the four genuine systems of finding the essence of life, each of which has its corresponding difficulty, going deep into the path of devotion connection, into bhakti yoga, and then going through the obstacles of sound, behavior, mind, and heart to finally come to humility and taste the essence. So again, we've written a uh, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections, chastisements. Yes. Oh, I should also say, ask questions. Um, I'm, I'm also actually um, trying to write a devotional novel. You're also trying to write a devotional novel. Very nice. Um, so I heard so is Kadamba Khan this one. I heard that he's also working on that. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, um, is there anything you've learned through the process of writing this that you wish you'd known at the beginning? 
Anything that I'd like to say now that I wish I'd known as a beginning. I, it was the most fun thing I've ever done in Christian consciousness. And uh, I wrote it as if I was reading it. So I just took the metaphors and I just wrote down the metaphors in order. That was all I did for planning. I didn't have any other idea where it was going. And when I worked on it, I worked on it as if I was reading it. So it was like, it was kind of unfolding. I let, I let Krishna write it, basically. Which meant it needed a lot of editing to write like that. And then I got a uh, top professional non-devotee editor. Because I wanted to make sure that it was also uh, open for non-devotee audiences. So I got a, a really, really top non-devotee editor who'd work, who'd work with devotees, but he's not at all devotee. And uh, that was just fantastic. And then I also went to a publishing house where I had both a devotee and a non-devotee editor go through the manuscript. Then I had five non-devotees and five devotees go through different drafts of the manuscript and give me different feedback. And like that. I, would, I also studied the best-selling books in, this, in a similar genre. So I picked anything that was a spiritual, religious, inspirational, allegorical journey. So some of them I'd read before, like Hestis Siddhartha, but I'd read that when I was, you know, 14. So I went back and read that again, and The Alchemist, and The Holy Man, and, and books like that, to see what were the good points, what were the bad points. But I picked ones that were selling millions and millions of copies. So I looked for something that was in a similar genre, and, and I studied those. How did they, how did they do that? So, you know, one of the qualities, I mean, I'm not a devotee, okay. It's one of the requirements for being a devotee is you have to say you're not a devotee. So I learned this very, like the first month I was in Hare Krishna. Uh, but anyway, uh, one of the qualities of a devotee is expert. And Prabhupada says that in the Brahmacharya Ashram and the Gurukula, he said the devotee should be trained to know something of everything and everything of something. He said just because you're a Brahmachari or you're a Gurukula student and you're Krishna conscious doesn't mean you should become callous to material knowledge. And Prabhupada said in the Gurukula that there was given values of life and specific training for a writing. So whatever service we're going to do, whether you're trying to write a novel or whether you're making a flower garland, you should become expert in that service, to know something of everything and everything of something. So whatever you're going to do, you should study the experts in that field. What have they done? How have they done? Uh, what works? And work with experts in the field. Whatever it may be, whatever your, whatever your service is. Learn from the experts, learn from devotee experts, learn from non-devotee experts. And, and really try to do, really try to do, as Prabhupada says, to do my best for Krishna's alone motive is my desire. For, for Krishna's, to do my best for Krishna's alone pleasure is my motive. That's what it is. Letter to type To do my best for Krishna's alone pleasure is my motive. Is my motive. If I want to please Krishna with what I'm doing, then I want to give him something that's the best it possibly could be. And if you're not experienced in writing, especially if you're not experienced in writing narratives, then I would suggest that you take a course. I mean, I was a teacher of writing uh, for decades. But if, if that's not something that you're expert in, then I would suggest taking a course in narrative writing because it's pretty easy to have awful narratives. Yes. Published by BBT or? No, I went to the, I went to BBT Africa, and uh, they actually said better you self publish. <laughs> Why? Their reasons were. Uh, so they, I was thinking, you know, like mass distribution. Well, yeah. The the benefits of publishing with BBT 